Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe. And this is Enough Room. And, and I guess that that is sort of the question, sort of shifting gears there. If marriage isn't about what isn't specifically about a man and a woman or particular types of genitalia doing the deed, um, then what is it about? Um, you know, that that's sort of the question that I then ask. Mm. What is biblical marriage? Is there such a thing as biblical marriage? It's interesting because you were just talking about how, um, you know, we have come to the realization that not everyone has to partake in this um, heterosexual relationship. And yet, um, it, you know, as Joe just said, what is biblical marriage? Because so often that's brought up as an argument against same-sex same relationships, as saying this doesn't fit with the biblical picture. Mm. So it seems on one hand we've come to terms with the fact that not everyone has to, has to participate in that, um, that institution, and yet at the same time we're using that institution as an argument against certain relationships. Yeah, so um, we're told the seventh day is, is the Sabbath. We're told um, faith is a promise of things hoped for. Like we're given definitions of some things in the Bible, but we're not told mm. marriage is dot, 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 dot in the Bible. Mm. Um, it's not ever formulated in that way. When Jesus is asked about divorce, he says, you know, as we talked about before, um, God created them male and female. But he's being asked about divorce, and he's being asked particularly if men can just leave their wives by the side of the road and uh, divorce them for no reason whatsoever. So there could be some other reasons why he is speaking about the fact that women are God's creation and should be honored and protected. Um, that's kind of the closest it ever comes to actually saying that. The other way you might... Um, determine that the Bible is saying marriage needs to be heterosexual would be just by saying, well, there's an absence of any same-sex couples in the Bible. So this is kind of the only model we see, so to speak, is um, same-sex couples but or heterosexual couples. But if you think about that too long, you might realize that there's, there's a lot of things um, in the Bible that we kind of see consistently modeled, but that we really reject today. Um, top of mind being slavery. It, it's really the only economic model that we find in the Bible. And we don't find any abolitionists in the Bible. Um, and yet we're very comfortable saying that the Bible is anti-slavery, even though we don't really find any, Thing in the text that says slavery is wrong. So, um, the, and there's lots of there's lots of other things, you know. Whether um, you know, in the Bible we don't see any divorces because of physical abuse, but people would generally say that's not okay. Um, in the Bible, there there seems to be some instances, and it's pretty broadly accepted that Mary was a teenage girl when she married. Joseph, who was a middle-aged man who'd already had children from a previous marriage, and yet I don't think most Christians today are saying that teenage marriage is okay. Um, you know, there's, 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 um, 
the divine right of kings was taught for centuries, saying that, you know, multiple places in the Bible, it says to submit to your governing authority. That is God investing and, and saying that he has called the kings and he has called them to rule over you and you need to listen to them. And yet now modern day Christians are pretty comfortable with believing in democracy, mm, <laughs> mm, yeah. you know, and representational forms of government. Uh, we're, we're quite comfortable with that, even though it's not modeled in scripture. And actually, you know, through most of Christian history, Christians have believed in a different kind of system of government. So, um, you know, there are new awarenesses that arise over time and we have to, th we have to think about things, those things, we have to think them through in their own terms mm. um, and not just say, well, it never happened in the Bible times. So it can't happen in our times because what you risk doing is accidentally importing the culture of Bible times instead of the actual message of the Bible and the ethics of the Bible. There was, um, I don't know if you have heard about this person, but his name is Israel Folau. Some of his comments <laughs> um, got him into trouble here in Australia um, a little while ago, but he's back um, in the news and a reporter mm -hmm. asked him the question about, uh, you know, do you still hold on to some of these beliefs? And his reply to the reporter was, you know, mate, have you read the Bible? Um, I believe everything that's in the Bible because the Bible is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he was saying the Bible is the written word of God. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I was like, hmm, yes and no. Because I, I personally believe, and mm -hmm. I'm sure there'll be a few other people who do, um, that the Bible isn't necessarily or isn't really the word of God, mm -hmm. but it's the words of men as they were moved by the spirit of God. I think I'm even paraphrasing Ellen White here. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's sort of my understanding of it. And when you say, you know, we risk having the culture of these people in a totally different time and space as us sort of seeping into our um, religious practices, I, I think it's a very real risk, especially when we don't make that difference mm -hmm. uh, between what's culture and what's actually coming through from the divine here. Mm -hmm. um, something else that I sort of wanted to raise with you is one of the reasons why people tend to say, hey, no gay marriage, <laughs> because, you know, men and women, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, they complement each other right. in that way. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, good question. Um, so, one of the main texts that's used to support that is um, from Ephesians chapter 5. And there Paul talks about, um, you know, wives um, submit to your husbands. Or actually, it's submit, one and, submit yourselves one to another, wives to your husbands. Um, and, you know, husbands likewise um, protect your wives or respect your wives. Um, and be willing to sacrifice yourself to them. And, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people look to this, this text as kind of a primary text about, you know, men are supposed to play a leadership role and women are supposed to play a supporting role. Um, it, it also shows up in, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head, Titus 
and first Peter and one of the Corinthians, I think. And what these passages are is um, they're the household codes is what they're known as kind of in scholarship. And household codes were something pretty common in the Roman empire. Um, people would say, you know, here's our kind of understanding of how a good Roman household should work and how it should operate. And Roman society very much saw the uh, Roman male citizen head of his household, almost like a Caesar of his household, almost like a small empire. Um, and his household mm. would have his wife, his children, maybe some extended family, um, some people that he had enslaved, um, maybe some people who were being paid as workers as well. Um, so all those people would be part of a Roman household. It would be kind of an economic unit. They might have businesses they were running and things like that. And um, the the Roman male citizen was really in charge of that household. Now, they would have rules for what it looks like for for a household to to for everyone to be playing their appropriate role within that household. And mm. those roles were not just for husbands and not just for wives and not just for children, but also for people who were enslaved within the household. And mm. if you look at the codes in the Bible, you also find that it also includes people who were enslaved. And so in Ephesians, after talking about, um, you know, women submitting, it also talks about enslaved people submitting. And it does that in in multiple of the household codes and it also shows up in other places um in in paul and paul's writing and peter also addresses the household codes uh, peter actually says you know that an enslaved person should submit even if they're beaten by their master mm. um which <laughs> is super um uncomfortable that's doesn't sound like abolitionist talk does it no so it's interesting to me how quickly we say that, oh, the slavery part of this household code, that was cultural, but the male women complementarian part, nope, that's not cultural. Mm. <laughs> that one's eternal. Um, and it also, you know, talks about submitting to your government. So, um, you know, and, and that was not understood as a democratic representational process. Mm. So, you know, we, we pick and choose which parts that yeah. we want to say and i'm not when i say we pick and choose it's it's i mean i've done this it's not conscious it's not conscious yeah. we kind of have ruts we fall into that we think and we believe and it's it's what we've been told and we're kind of afraid to go against the grain and and to 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 really say like can we really say like some of this might have been like a cultural expectation can we really say that like that 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 can cut against the grain and it can be really difficult to say but it is not consistent to take mm. one passage of scripture, uh, the household codes, that's, that's a complete unit, and pick and choose which parts we want to say are cultural mm. and which parts we want to say are not cultural. It's just, it's just not um, consistent. We also mm. would be very, very uncomfortable with the way other parts of the Bible define the roles between men and women. I mean women are not able in the old testament to really enter into a contract because it could be canceled by the husband at any time so women are really not like independent legal entities in the old testament they're under the authority of their fathers or of their husbands they're not legally fully human really 
And that, I mean, that's not something. So this, 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 this complementarian argument, it hides a lot of disagreement and it makes it look like it's, it's one thing that, that, you know, male and females have different roles and the Bible has always taught that. And it's this consistent thing, but it's not. And the people who are advocating for it are, are not advocating for it in the same way that it's been advocated for the Bible and, by the way, for most of Christian history. This male-female difference for the vast majority of Christian history, they have believed that it was rooted in the inferiority of women. Like, very plainly, moral and intellectual inferiority of women. They, they state this very, very plainly. It's in my book. Um, so to say now, compliment, we're equal, but different. And that's a historic Christian teaching. It's not a historic Christian teaching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not like you're actually way closer to a modern day feminist than you are to say Augustine or mm. um, the Old Testament uh, law or something like that. So um, yeah, so I just, I, I feel that this kind of real certainty that this is what God intended for marriage and what God created marriage to be and to, to men can't be together um, or to women can't be together because they fulfill different roles in marriage. Um, I feel is just like a, a kind of a misplaced certainty uh, because um, really people, people are people and people are all different and culture has changed the way we think about these things so dramatically over time. And I, I really don't think that ethically and morally most people would advocate for returning to some of the practices of the past. So let's not like pretend that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess to a certain extent, it kind of goes back to what, um, what Joe was saying earlier about the, I guess that distinction of, of understanding the difference between um, the, the words of God and the words of men inspired by God mm -hmm. that are obviously also, while they may be inspired by God, they're also living in their time. They're living in their own culture. So yeah. they're always going to be speaking to their own culture. Yeah. Which I guess just, I guess kind of makes me think about, is there a distinction sometimes between... Or is there a way of knowing the difference between um, maybe uh, laws or, or things like that that are maybe the, the everlasting word of God versus instruction that may have been given based on inspiration by God for a time and a place or a culture? Um, is there a way of, of um, I guess, finding a distinction between them in the word? Yeah, so let's start with Jesus. Uh, Matthew 22, 36 to 40, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? And what Jesus does not say is all the commandments are equal. All the law is equal. What do you mean greatest? <laughs> it's all inspired by God. What are you talking mm. about? Get behind me, Satan. No, he doesn't say that. Uh, he actually does say which parts of the law are the most important. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, which is a quotation from um, Deuteronomy 8, I think, or 6. 
um, it's the Hebrew Shema. So this is very central mm -hmm. to Hebrew theology and, and self-identity was this, this is who they were, the people who love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. Um, and then he, of course, says, and the greatest is like this, and then he quotes Leviticus 17, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and of course, Jesus also expanded the definition and understanding of what neighbor was to include everyone um, <clears throat> in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, you know, Jesus really does say, like, here's the main point, guys. And, and again, this is grounded in the teaching about the image of God, that, that all human life has value and dignity, that we're all created in God's image, that, that we love our creator, that we love one another as fellow creations of God. <clears throat> so this is the core, the core thing. Um, and then you also have really, really set apart from the rest of the law. Uh, you have the Ten Commandments. They're written in stone. That's not subtle imagery. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, they're, they're written in stone by the hand of God. And in the sanctuary, um, the, the tabernacle that the Israelites brought around with them and later built in Jerusalem, the Ten Commandments are, belong in the most holy place um, inside the Ark of the Covenant, just this very kind of central location. And, and you can see reflected in the Ten Commandments, um, this love for God and this love for the neighbor. Hmm. And you can hmm. see how they're all tied and, 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 and rooted and bound together as one. So, so you have these two main commandments and you have these Ten Commandments. And then you have um, other laws, which, you know, scattered throughout some of the other laws is just the statement statements and one of them shows up in Leviticus 18 one of the chapters that talks about you know um, forbids this same sex erotic behavior that was happening and um, which we could talk about as well um, but it, one of them shows up in Leviticus 18 and it's, it's this statement that hey this law um, is is so that you will be different from the people who came before you and you're not going to participate in the things that they participated in because that's what made me want to kick them off the land or other places might say um at the beginning of deuteronomy i believe it says this i can't tell you exactly where but um you know this law is so that the other nations will look at you and will recognize that your god is good because your god has given you this law and it's a good law and so it has this kind of contextual understanding that it's it's to help correct the problems of the past that has happened in this land and it's to help the others to recognize that you're God's people and also throughout the law are things that just don't make sense for our day right um mm. the one I always like to point to um I actually just realized today it's only I don't know why it took me this long to realize but it's only like three or four verses after a, a verse that's sometimes used to um really limit trans people that's speaking about um not wearing the clothes of the other of the other gender mm, I, uh, mm -hmm. yeah and so it it shows up it's only like three verses later than that right um I, I don't know why this is like my favorite example it says that you should never have a roof without a parapet on the roof and you're like what does that mean okay <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean and and a parapet was just um 
like a, a fence or a railing that would go around your roof. Um, and why that was important was because people hung out on their roofs. And if you didn't have that railing, somebody could fall off and get hurt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like, don't cut corners on your building code trying to save a mm. buck at, and risk someone's health is what yeah. that means. It's the, the Bible's version of work health and safety. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. mean like New Englanders need to go put like a fence around their slanted roofs <laughs> that yeah. like get feet and feet of snow every year and, and now it's building up the snow and their roof is collapsing. Like you're crazy if you think that that's what it mm. meant. And again, this is another case where in something so trivial like that, it's like we fill in the blanks without even realizing we're filling in the blanks. You know, when it says to bury your excrement outside the camp we don't think oh my gosh i need to go out of town and dig a hole <laughs> you know what you're doing this weekend alicia <laughs> <laughs> digging a hole you, you know but then when it says man shall not sleep with a man as with a woman then we're like oh that one applies mm. everywhere even though you know and and so it's just um we just need to be more careful in our application and understand that there were reasons why they said these things. Um, some of them we understand and some of them we don't understand. And, um, but we need to do our best to understand them. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room. We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye. Bye.